it just wasn't working. We were seeing the same encampments, the same individuals year after year after year. Welcome to Bridge the City, a podcast recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Our mission is to bridge together people, resources, and ideas that inspire Milwaukee to action. I'm your host, Ben Hoekstra. In our recent episode, you heard from Elmer Moore about WIDA, its efforts around affordable housing, and the importance of housing for our community's economic and social success. Today's episode, we ask a different question. What about those experiencing homelessness? Eric Collins-Dyke from the Milwaukee County Housing Division joins us to talk housing first. Eric, thanks so much for joining us today. To start things off, tell us a little bit about you and your role with the county. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Ben. Um, I'm currently the Deputy Administrator for the Milwaukee County Housing Division, so I oversee all of our supportive housing and homeless services um, in Milwaukee County, so that encompasses our homeless outreach team that does traditional street outreach on the street and works to move people um, indoors and into and, um, to safety um, and eventually into permanent housing. And then also we have a, a large portfolio of different supportive housing programs. So those are generally tenant-based rent assistance programs where we provide rent assistance for individuals who are currently experiencing homelessness um, to utilize their voucher to get them indoors into their own permanent apartments coupled with wraparound services. We also have a number of different healthcare partnership programs. We partner with a lot of local healthcare systems to provide housing navigation and permanent housing assistance uh, to a lot of individuals utilizing uh, both hospital EDs and various primary care clinics. Um, and then also uh, we, we work closely with um, a lot of our local nonprofits and our shelter system, and we fund them on an annual basis as well, excuse me, so from a contractual standpoint, uh, I oversee uh, that as well, a lot of our community-based contracts. So, yeah. so just like one or two things. Um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. You know, a whole laundry list of stuff. I mean, that's... Yeah. that's yeah. So, um, so uh, let, me, let me dive in a little more on some of the details there. I know you, you talked about um, vouchers and ha- helping someone use their voucher or what have you. Uh, tell, tell me a little bit about what you mean by that. Uh, wh- what is the voucher? Where does it come from? And, and how do you use that to help uh, folks who might be experiencing homelessness or, or other issues like that? Sure. So we have our traditional Section 8 program, which is a, a traditional Section 8 rent assistance voucher. And uh, we have about 2,000 of those vouchers in the county housing authority. Um, one thing to note that I think it's important is important for listeners is that there's two housing authorities in the county. There's one at the city and there's one with us at the county. And the city's just quite a bit larger than ours. Um, but we do have roughly close to 2,000 Section 8 vouchers. We do have a homeless preference in that program. And I bring up the Section 8 vouchers because the rest of our vouchers and our supportive housing programs are sort of just other iterations of a Section 8 voucher but they are dedicated strictly for individuals who are experiencing homelessness and in some cases have have some sort of disability. And the way those vouchers are set up is if an individual has income, um, they have to be under a certain threshold of income to qualify for the program. They pay 30% of their monthly income towards the rent. And then the county housing authority and our other programs cover the rest, so 70%. 
Um, I will say this, and I think this is also important for the community to know, is we serve a lot of households that have zero income when they come into our programs. Um, and that um, by no means pre, you know, precludes them from accessing these vouchers. Um, it actually you know, is, is sort of our core demographic um, in terms of folks that we house directly off the street. So in those cases, we pay for all of their rent um, until they are able to access income. We also pay a monthly utility allowance to cover their utility needs at the unit. Um, and it's a wonderful resource to have because um, you know, prior to having, you know, uh, an increase in these vouchers and the way we, we structured our programs is many of these individuals and families that were on the street didn't necessarily have access to them. Um, so their only option was these temporary options to get off the street instead of these permanent options. And these vouchers, you're in perpetuity. So somebody can use them as long as they need them. It, it varies. Every, every situation varies. Some people are on them 10, 15, 20 years if they if they need it. Um, some individuals and households um, only need it for a few years and, until they you know, get a certain amount of income. But it's nice to have that option to be able to give the household something like that, uh, that is, is as long as they need it um, um, in terms of whatever their situation is. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about, um, I mean, you've been doing this work for, for a number of years now. And I know that in particular, the Milwaukee County Housing Division has has made some some pretty big strides in, in the way that they've uh, tweaked programs or tweaked the way they've, they've approached various things. Appreciate all of that. I'm kind of curious from your perspective, the conversations you're in, why, why is the work you do so important? Like, why do more people need to know about the resources and, and the work that you all are doing? Well, and I think it's not just the county. I think it's across the system. You know, our local continuum of care um, also is, um, you know, a wonderful partner. We're, we're a member of the, of the continuum of care. We get a large amount of funding from them. The city is the lead agency. And so I think, you know, that collaborative spirit that we have in the city, I think, has really helped push this work along. Um, what I would say is, I think one of the things that we've done since 2015 as a community when we adopted the Housing First model, um, and this is really where the community comes in, is to understand how significant that change was and, and how much it sort of pushed us into the space where we are focused on housing at all times. Um, it doesn't mean we can house them on the same day. It doesn't mean we can house them in 24 hours. But that component of the conversation not only from like a service provision standpoint, where now all of the outreach teams, whenever they go out on the street, they are very focused on uh, those, those housing plans, um, talking to people about housing. It's a core focus and component of what they do um, beyond the traditional street outreach. Um, and it's also added a large amount of funding throughout the system um, that's dedicated to rent assistance. You know, oftentimes in the homelessness services system, I feel like we overcomplicate things. And many times when you're talking about needs and funding, um, it is it is specific, you know, monies directed at rent assistance. We need to pay rent for people um, yeah. to be able to access units and apartments, um, you know, in long term. Um, and so I think once we started to do that, you know, Ben, you, I mean, you know, from from our history and our conversations in the past, once we started to do that, we were able to sort of show from like, from a, a data standpoint, the efficacy of the intervention. And I think that point in, in getting folks to understand who may initially have been hesitant about the housing first model, how effective it is, 
not only both in terms of the most important aspect of it is providing dignity to an individual in the household and allowing them to uh, get the stability that we all deserve, um, but also from you know a cost saving standpoint and other systems, um, sort of providing that innate organic stability where someone, because they have a place to stay and wake up to every day, um, maybe maybe aren't accessing the emergency room for healthcare. They now they now have a primary care doctor, um, or or some of the other issues that they were dealing with on the street just to survive, like you and I would. Um, those have been mitigated strictly because they have their own place to live. Um, and I would be remiss if I didn't also mention too. I think one thing that gets lost in the housing first conversation is the importance of the wraparound services. Those are 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 equally as important. Um, as the as the providing um, as as the way we provide units, you know that, that consistent case management, that support that is a collaborative effort between the case manager and the participant, um, is is so incredibly helpful, uh, and, and definitely leads to the success of the program. And I think that conversation as well um, has picked up quite a bit in the community where people are starting to put those two together and understanding when we advocate for more funding, it has to be both. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you, um, like you said, we, we've had multiple conversations about this in the past and, and appreciate those for someone who's, who's new to this space. Maybe it's just someone who's a, a resident of the County or of the city who most of their experience of understanding homelessness or, or resources available to people is, is the person they pass at the freeway on ramp. Who's, who's asking for, for money or what have you. Can you talk about, what, what even is housing first? What is this model that you switched to? And, and you talked a little bit about, hey, hey, it's working. Tell me more about that. How is it working? How do you know it's working? Yeah, so I think for a long time, if you've been in this community longer, about 15 years or longer, all of the housing programs and the homeless services, services system required a certain amount of things that those who referred had to accomplish before they were allowed to access an apartment. So they used to call it this housing ready model. So there were programs that required 90 days of sobriety, um, consistent sobriety. Um, and again, if you can just, if people can take a step back and think about that, living on the street, under a bridge, on the sidewalk, in a tent, and, and trying to navigate day to day and accomplishing that task, um, you know, I, there, there are many housed uh, people in the community who, who that would be tough for. Um, that taking care of all of their legal issues, um, adherence to medication that they may, may have needed was a requirement. And thankfully, people started to see, and I used to work in some of those programs, sort of how backwards that was uh, in that, you know, people are finally starting to look at, okay, housing is a human right. Um, housing, you know, housing justice, um, you know, it just wasn't working. We were seeing the same encampments same individuals year after year after year who we tried to get into those housing programs um, and it just didn't work out and so they were staying on the street and so around 2014 2015 and we were a little late to the game nationally for sure um, we slowly started to adopt the housing first model and essentially what that is it's not overly scientific you don't have to be that smart to figure it out i'm not that smart is it's providing the apartment before any of those things are addressed. So, so we, we work with individuals who are in all types of active spaces along their journey, 
whether that you know whether that's actively using, whether that's needing to take care of legal issues, whether that's you know they're experiencing some pretty difficult situations and they want to get some help, but they're just they're just trying to survive on the street every day, uh, in terms of getting food, finding a place to shower, finding a warm place during the winter during the day, um, getting them into their unit first, and then all of those things I just listed, addressing them after they're in their um, and we found um, that that has helped uh, an incredible amount. Um, you know, I, when we when we first did uh, our sort of first large push to get our first 85 to 100 people inside, we looked at some of the numbers of how things looked on the street and how things looked after they got housed. And we saw things across the board around the healthcare system in terms of a large decrease in use, using the emergency room, detox, crisis services, psychiatric inpatient units, all of those things went way down once people got inside. Um, and on the criminal justice side, you know, a lot of folks experiencing homeless on the street end up incurring a lot of municipal citations to no fault of their own, um, generally for just being on the street. Um, so loitering, for example, um, you know, someone could get a ticket for sitting on a bench for two hours, where if you or I sat on the river walk for two hours, we wouldn't be bothered. Um, you know, yeah. trespassing. A lot of the municipal trespassing tickets if you're on the street is if you're sleeping in a doorway, you know, to just try to stay out of the elements. Yeah. All of those went way down once once our first cohort of participants went in. Went in. I, I think, you know, off the top of my head, we we saw roughly $700,000 of cost savings across some of those emergency services. Um, wow. In terms of 12 months after they got in compared to the 12 months before. And we also saw a, a, a very, very large decrease in municipal citations, particularly downtown, for folks who had previously stayed on the street there and we moved in. Um, so I think, again, those are always sort of the two components I talk about. One is like it was, it was a necessary change and it was the right thing to do as a community to switch to this model. It just wasn't working the other way. And two, it has, it has all of these sort of you know, tentacles of positive effects on, on, on different systems. Um, but most importantly, bringing it back, the most important piece is that someone is housed and, and they finally have that stability and dignity. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. Talk to me a little bit about um, what is chronic homelessness and also like how do we stack up now in comparison to like other other parts of the country? I know you said we were late to the party. Are we still late to the party or are we, uh, are we uh, in a different space now? It's a great question. Yeah. So chronic homelessness, just for a specific definition, is a definition which is included in the literal homeless definition by, um, by, by the federal government, by HUD. And essentially what it is, it's an individual who's been homeless for con one continuous year straight. So continuous year, homeless, um, no breaks or of any kind of, a, of an indoor stay. Um, and also... Uh, four episodes of homelessness within three years that equal 365 days. So they, they really look at it as someone who has struggled for an extensive amount of time with a literal homeless situation, whether that's they're on the street, in a car, in an abandoned building, in a tent, et cetera. Um, and generally, the chronic homeless population in most communities, including ours, fluctuates between like 12 and 15 percent of the overall homeless population. Um, you know, the, the, the individuals who are homeless longer term. Um, and I think what we tried to do at the beginning was focus on those who were on the street for a long time. Uh, and, and so we initially 
looked at getting those who are chronically homeless off the street first. We have people who have been out there five, 10, one guy was 16, 17 years, I think, uh, you know, just incredibly long. Uh, and so when we were able to do that, we were able to, to, to drastically decrease those numbers. Um, and I would say, yeah, you know, we did it really quickly. I think we've seen like an overall 46% reduction in overall homelessness since 2015. Uh, right now, we fluctuate between about 10 and 15 chronically homeless individuals in our system at all times, which is pretty low to sustain consistently. Um, I think I think also, you know, we recognize it's a really difficult thing to accomplish in, in a large system that has limited resources. Um, I think we developed a model, uh, you know, that we would stack up nationally for sure and regionally uh, around what we did. Um, what I would say today is I think we're, we're very, very close to getting down to hopefully zero on the chronically homeless side. But there are issues of stagnancy in the system, as there is in any system when resources are scarce. And so I think one of the things that we've seen as a gap is once someone is approved for housing, the length of time it takes to get them inside. And some of that is just the, the service capacity of the system. So what we've seen is we don't have enough housing navigation in our system at the moment. So actually this year we're hiring, I think, 10 new positions on the county side to put together a housing navigation team. So when a, a street outreach worker refers somebody, somebody gets approved for housing, they immediately can refer to this team to then work on all aspects of the housing to get them in quickly. Um, and so I think until we, we have that down, um, we'll probably stay around where we're at, which is still really good and we're proud of it. Um, but this is definitely one of the gaps we've seen for sure. I also would say too, you know, we've been really lucky as a community to have the rental stock that we do on the private market side compared to some other communities across the country, particularly on the coast. You know, we can still utilize our tenant-based vouchers um, in private apartments in Milwaukee, Milwaukee County. Uh, we're not priced out yet, uh, but I the the vacancy rate is decreasing. Um, it, it is getting down there. So I think, you know, being ahead of it a little bit, having this ha housing navigation model uh, that a lot of other communities use, we're hopeful that we can uh, not only get even lower, but but sustain it for a longer period of time. Yeah, and and I appreciate the last thing you mentioned about kind of the the rental stock and being able to do that. I mean, I think there's a lot of conversation right now about rents going up and cost of housing going up, and and I imagine that's something that uh, impacts your work and and probably you have a lot of conversations about. Can you talk about uh, what how does that change things, or has that have you seen that impact yet, and and what um. What are some of the ways like you all are talking about how to address that or, or if that's going to increase the need for your services or, or anything like that? Yeah, the homeownership question is a great one. I think it's one thing we've looked at for a long time of trying to add to sort of our portfolio of options and resources. You know, we've historically only provided rent assistance and we have you know large rent assistance programs. But one of the things we've looked around, excuse me, in terms of really creating more economic equity and generational wealth, um, especially, you know, for those who are, who are serving that are very interested in, in that piece in home ownership, um, is looking at uh, adding the home ownership to our Section 8 program. You know, there's a Section 8 home ownership program that the city has that we're going to be. Uh, starting uh, on our end, um, 
slowly but surely. We also have a large initiative in the King Park area uh, for new single family homes. We got a state neighborhood investment fund grant for first time home buyers, um, which we're really, really excited about we're partnering with Habitat for Humanity on that. Um, and I would say on the rental side, absolutely. We were starting to see some of the pinch of what it could look like in that, you know, there are individuals that we serve or people that we know on the street who could potentially access an apartment and maybe have the means to do it, but they're getting denied because of credit, um, for example, where in the past they might not have if there were more options. Um, we have, you know, um, landlords that we worked with in the past who are great, who's maybe had their portfolio, you know, had capacity and their vacancy rate was a little higher and would allow us to fill in with all our, you know, our program participants. Um, and that's, that's dwindling a little bit as well. Um, I would also say too, from the fair market rent side, you know, we're allowed to pay up to 100%, 110% of the fair market rate if the unit comps out. Um, we, we definitely are trying to forecast a couple years ahead um, a little bit, just to make sure that our voucher ceilings each year um, can meet some of the rising rents in, in the community. So that's absolutely a concern. Um, I think, again, we're still uh, in a little better situation than some other communities around the country. Um, it's also forced us to look at other, you know, housing models as well, including shared housing, um, you know, stuff that, that places like L.A. have really been ahead of the curve on. Um, so we're thinking about all of those things because as we continue to see that pinch, it affects all aspects of the things we do all the way down to the street. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. I'm, I'm curious, and I know you mentioned a few of these earlier, but maybe you can dive more into those or bring up other ones. I'd love to hear what are, what are some misconceptions you run into in your line of work? What are the things you sometimes have to uh, explain or, or help people to understand differently um, that you run into often? I appreciate that question. Lots of things. <laughs> um, one, one for sure that I get all the time is there's sometimes a, a very unfortunate stereotype of those, the individuals we serve on the street, that they want to be out there. Uh, and, I, and I cannot begin to tell you with every, every sort of, you know, fiber of, 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 you know, of me that has been doing this, that is absolutely not the case. You know, the, the individuals who are staying outside, they want to be inside. They want their own place. They want to go home at the end of the day, just like you and me. Um, and so I think that's one thing I push back on a lot. And it's one thing I push back on quite a bit when we're talking about the need um, and the funding is, you know, nobody wants to be outside in a tent in the cold in the middle of the winter in Milwaukee. Um, and are there cases where people might not want to go into sort of a large congregate setting? Absolutely. Depending on what they're dealing with. Um, living in close proximity to others can certainly exacerbate some of the things they're struggling with. Um, but do 99 out of 100 times they want their own apartment? Absolutely, right? And so I think it's, it's sort of shifting that conversation to instead of, you know, sort of the, the random community member who just sees someone on the side of the street asking for money, um, educating them and getting them to understand that better. Um, I think, too, um, uh, you know, a second one that we often talk about is the layers to each situation of how somebody ended up on the street. Um, they are always so complex. Uh, they usually involve various forms of trauma. It 
different forms of their, times of their life. Um, and so what I would always ask, what I always ask people to consider too is, is in terms of withholding judgment is understanding there are so many things that happen in that person's life for them to be on that corner, to be in that tent, to be under the bridge. Um, and we have to honor those complexities as a community and, and, and show grace um, and, and, and understand that instead of, you know, rushing to judgment, taking a step back and thinking about, you know, all of those components. Um, and, and also, too, you know, if you are interested in helping, there are some proven things that we've done over the last seven to eight years uh, that we would love for, for people outside of our system and, and who have a voice um, and, and power in this space um, to advocate for those things. Um, not only from a funding standpoint, but also just from a philosophical standpoint. You know, like um, everybody deserves to, to be in their own place and, and to be inside and to wake up in their own bed. Um, and, and, and also everyone deserves to have grace in, in whatever environment they're in, whether we're meeting them in a home visit in their apartment, whether we're meeting them at a gas station and they're asking for money, whether we're meeting them, um, you know, in their encampment. Um, and I would also say this too, like from a street outreach standpoint, and people who've done street outreach for a long time, um, generally hold this philosophy too. When you are engaging with an individual who is sleeping outdoors, um, that is their space. That is their space that they protect. That is at the moment their home. And so honoring that, um, you know, if, if, you know, being respectful, um, you know, uh, if, if you want to engage in help, not being overly aggressive, like asking if it's okay to step into that space, just like you would ask, like you would, like you would knock on somebody's door. Um, um, yeah. And then, and then, lastly, what I would say is this, and again, just sort of in defense of the housing first model, because I know there are some areas of the country where it's getting some pushback at the moment. Is when you look at the reason someone is on the street, there are so many complexities to it. I would, I would never call my uh, be able to say you know that I know every specific reason why every person on the street in Milwaukee is there. It's because they don't have a place to live. You know, it's it's because they don't have that component um, of their life and a place to go back to uh, at the end of the day. Um, and, and addressing that first and then being able to address all the other things they're dealing with. I, I just I just hope people understand that like that's where we should be at as a community. That should be our, our first concern is getting somebody indoors. Yeah. Well, let me ask you uh, uh, one more question before we wrap up. Um, I think something that I often hear people ask uh, in conversations around homelessness or whatever, and, and I'm sure you get this all the time, uh, what should I do when somebody asks me for money? Um, I'm curious how you respond to that question. I would love to hear your perspective on how you would answer when someone asked you how they should respond. So this is one of my favorite questions. So first thing that I would say, whatever you feel comfortable doing, do that, but always be respectful. Um, I would say that the stereotypes that are often thrown out there for people who are asking for money are generally false. It's generally, you know, somebody actually needs it. Um, and they may need it for certain things that you may not agree with it, but they need it so they don't feel sick all day. Or they may need it because, you know, they may need it for food or, you know, 
hygiene or supplies for their kids. Um, you know, there's there's an, the, the conversation around universal basic income is a favorite of mine, and, and I'm a big fan of it. And there's a there's a study in Vancouver done a couple of years ago where they they took a, a small portion of the homeless population there and gave them a certain amount of money for a certain amount of months and tracked what they did with it. And they spent it on rent, food, education, um, uh, you know, invested it for their kids. And I just thought it was so profound. And I, and I hope people start to understand that um, a lot of times in, in situations like this, just as you or I would if we were experiencing homelessness and housing insecurity, people just need money. They need they need that economic freedom and 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 justice that a lot of us, you know, are privy to in, in our in you know our own lives, and so you know I think ex- exploring that part of this as well, and understanding that the the, the stereotypes that um, are often um, you know perpetuated unfortunately in, in the community are often untrue, um, and I would say if you don't have money or you don't want to give money, you know carry something else that you can give to someone, um, you know, whether it's a sandwich, a granola bar, bottles of water, um, that, that basic exchange of humanity, even if, it, you know, even if it's not from a monetary perspective, um, carry resource cards, if you want to do that. Um, you know, I think, I think oftentimes people ruminate quite a bit on it and they don't know what to do. Um, but I think, you know, all of the all of the above, I think, whatever, whatever you're comfortable with. Uh, but just also understand that most of the time, if not all the time, it is somebody who is in need um, and be respectful. And um, yeah, you know, it's a, a question we get asked a lot about. Um, and I and we always like to try to educate people on. Um, and I think it's a real, real good opportunity too, in, in, in a lot of random times just to be a good neighbor, be a good, you know, be a good human. I appreciate you sharing that. So uh, at Bridge of the City, we're always focused on on action. What can people do? Um, so I'd like to ask you, what what is an action step you would give our listeners, a way they can engage in the community, they can engage on this issue? Um, what would you say? You know, if you're interested in a solution around, you know, addressing homelessness, permanent housing, first and foremost, you know, literally end someone's cycle of homelessness. Um, I also think there are many volunteer opportunities, uh, not to sound cliche, but it's true. When, when you get in the mix of, of this space and in this field, I think it often, you know, really helps people step back, get rid of some of their stereotypes. They may have been engaged in a, a conversation or a, a individual situation that sort of helps them look at, look at things differently and understand the complexities of the issue. Um, I would say we need all types of people in this space for advocacy. People who, you know, people who are good at fundraising, business, creativity, advocacy, activism. Um, I often, I, I oftentimes, you know, think that, especially in the creative housing models, we need people, you know, far outside of the homeless service system to help us with a lot of things. Um, but yeah, I think, I think if you're looking for a solution on, on, what to help with, you know, focusing on organizations um, and policies that focus on permanent housing, safe and affordable housing, increasing funding on an annual basis. Um, those are things to put your voice to as well. Um, and also sort of humanizing 
um, the folks that are experiencing homelessness too, I think is another big one, is understanding that these are our neighbors. These are members of our community. They're just like you and me. Um, they're someone's brother, cousin, friend, spouse, et cetera. Um, I think it's really, really important to, to ground people too. Um, sometimes I feel like sometimes the conversations around homeless get really lofty and bringing it back down to the ground level can be really helpful. Understanding the ways in which safe, stable housing is the key to healing and well-being for many who are experiencing homelessness is eye-opening. We address the problem of homelessness by addressing the problem of housing. Eric's reminders to use your voice and talents to advocate on this issue, as well as making sure we never lose sight of the humanity of those experiencing homelessness, are important reminders for each of us. Thanks for joining us for another housing-focused episode of Bridge the City, and a special thank you to those who have supported us on Patreon. If you enjoy the podcast and are able to financially support us so we can keep volunteering to make this happen, please do at patreon.com slash bridge the city. Don't forget to reach out and share how you are helping bridge the city. the city.